throne of grace where we can find mercy and grace to help in our time of need, Father. And we always need you, Lord. We need you so much. We need you uh, for life, for health, for well-being. We just need you to sustain us from day to day. So we thank you, Lord, that you are a risen Savior. You are a risen King. You are an all-present help. And we thank you to help our needs that we have today. And we bless you for it. Thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. So we're ready to get started. Amen. Praise God. Amen. So today we're going to talk about the joy cure. The joy cure. Because joy, laughter, a merry heart are a cure for the body and for disease. Did you know that? Proverbs 4 tells us that the word is medicine, but there are also some spiritual forces that have a healing effect on the body, and we're going to talk about the one that that I know uh, is going to be a blessing to you, and that is joy or a merry heart. One of the problems that people have in natural medicine and I can speak of that because I was a nurse for uh, uh, some years more than I'd like to but not enough to mean much but anyway (laughs) I left that life because I was called into eternal life amen I was called to the ministry called to serve God and so God called me out of that and I didn't look back but it always left in my heart a desire to help people who are sick and who are suffering. And so um, one of the things that that I know happens uh, in healing and natural medicine is that the human will and the human spirit have much to do with the outcome of any illness that you might face. We even have emotional illnesses because our, our, our spirit and the spirit or the soul of man that, that has reactions in an emotional fashion to what's going on in life, that aspect of man is vitally important to the general well-being of an individual. When your mind is not at peace, when you're not at ease, when you don't have that shalom or that, that, that wholeness, in mind, body, and estate, then it can affect your physical man. Stress causes pain on the body. We all know that. Whether it's emotional stress, uh, the way you react and respond to things is so vitally important. That is why God gives us his word so that we have an understanding that whatever situation you're in that this world brings you is only temporal or temporary. You got me? It's going to pass, and it'll pass in the right way if you will allow God's word in, and that's why we receive the word and we hold on to the word. We believe the word. When Whenever we are challenged with something uh, that's not pleasant to our life, we have the word. But we also have the fruit of God's spirit, which is very important and vital for us. So the word of God comes to give us the promise and the answer. And then the fruit of the spirit of God comes in to hold us in a place of contentment until that thing happens. Isn't that true? Because what happens to us when you you pray, if you come up here and you say, Pastor Barb, pray for me that I will get so and so and such and such. Now, if I was a magician, 
which I've, you know, been called worse. Let me put it to you. <laughs> I could go bibbity bobbity boo and you'd have your stuff. But God is not a magician. He's God. Amen. And he does everything he does with wisdom. He's not challenged. He's not moved by saying, well, God, if you don't give me so and so right now, I'm just going to go off. Well, you better go on off because he ain't moved by your little going off down here. He's not moved by anybody's pressure. <laughs> now, you can move people with that, but you ain't moving God with that little stuff. And so what he does, in the meantime, while we are, are believing and anticipating, expecting, received it in faith. Isn't that right? It says, when you pray, believe that you receive it. When? When you pray. And you'll have it. But I don't see it. That doesn't mean you didn't receive it. Huh? Marv, I gave you a check for $100 for doing my nails. Because <laughs> no price is too great. Yeah, she's claiming it, right? No price is too great. <laughs> I was rough when I came in here. I've been on that car. And my little gnarly boys were shut up like that. I said, oh, stretch them out and paint them, please. And so she's... She's a, uh, um, a, a manicurist by trade, a nail tech by trade. So that was nice to have professional <laughs> for a change. You can put them out there and not be ashamed of them. But if I gave you a check, you'd be just as pleased that check would give you peace till you get to the bank and get upset. Now, you might get upset at the bank when they <laughs> don't know the money comes in. But you're just as peaceful with that check because that check is payment for what she knows is due her. Amen? It's payment. And that's what we get in God. Your faith is your evidence. Your faith is your payment that God heard you. Did you know that? You know, people, we play faith too cheap sometimes. And the Bible says that if you have a, if, if there is anything that you need, let your requests be made known unto God through prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God and the peace of God, the shalom of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your heart and mind. That means you ain't going to go off. You ain't going to go crazy. You can wait until it shows up because he gives you something that money can't buy. He makes you whole in spirit, mind, body, and estate. You have no doubt that it's coming because you have the peace of God. It's like his handshake. The deal is done. Until we do that transaction, there's no done deal. See, I think Christians spend way too much time complaining, worrying, fretting like you don't have no daddy. We shouldn't treat God like that. We really shouldn't. You go and complain to somebody that's struggling worse than you are. Huh? You go and tell somebody, well, I just just need some. I'm glad you brought that up, honey, because I sure need some to what we going to do. You know, go on, stop that stuff. You have a father that takes care of you. He's already made provision for everything, but he has to use your faith to get it to you. So when you pray, you know, and people say, well, God, he know what I need. (laughs) You need a whooping is what you need. Huh? Talking like that. We need to ask him. You go to him in respect and reverence with thanksgiving. With a th- God, I thank you that I, I have a father and I know you're going to do this for me. And I know that you hear me every time that I pray. And Father, I just would like to ask that you would give me and put your list out there, baby. I mean, as long as you want it to be. 
put it out there. And at the end of the, the, the list, say, thank you, Jesus, because I'm expecting you to bring it to me and let his peace flood you so that you can have peacefulness. You can have wholeness. You can have soundness. You're not worried anymore. You're not fretful. Now, the devil will come up to you. He likes prayer because that's his invitation to harass somebody. He likes when we speak the word or we sit under the word because that's his invitation to come harass you. Huh? Oh, you think, you know, with his harumph, huh? I get a little dog that begs all the time, and she'll dance around, treat me nice, lick me, jump on me, do all these things, and when I don't move, then she goes, I said, don't you harumph me, (laughs) you know, this attitude from you. And so, you know, sometimes we get that way, you know, but the devil will come up to you and say, you think you 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 mean that's all you think that's all you got to do and he just gonna give you stuff like that devil sit down let me read you some more scripture let me tell you what else he gonna do for me and let me tell you what he gonna do for you your days are highly numbered so you just sit over there and watch me get blessed mess your head straight up and just for that, I'm going to ask him for something bigger right now. Amen? Do it bold and do it strong. <clears throat> but in talking about the fruit of the Spirit, in Galatians 5.22, it lists them. And we don't need to list them all. We're going to focus on joy. And this is a fruit that emanates out of the Spirit of God, and it is available to us at all times for the purpose of overcoming. Joy is an overcomer's fruit. That's why you see so little of it among Christian people because the devil steals it all the time because he knows what it'll do to him. Huh? You barely get one bill paid before there's another one coming to the door. Huh? Then there's always the emergency things that come up. That we didn't know about, but God sure knew it was coming. And he's always made provision for it. He's already made the provision for it. All you have to do is hold tight and wait till the estimate comes or or get a phone number from somebody. Or say, God, how am I going to take care of this? Let me know what you're going to do, and I'll just follow your instruction. That's all you have to do, folks. You don't have to wring your hands. You don't have to get nervous. And Oh, Lord, you know, we Use it not in the the right way sometimes. And so you want to go to God in confidence and assurance and know that he has already made provision for whatever it is that you need. But the Bible also gives us instructions on how to use joy in certain situations so that we're not moved at all off of our position. Now, why is it that not being moved or not being moved is so important? If we're if we're if we've made a decision about something, say you've made a decision, you bought a home and you've made a decision that this is going to be your home and you like it. You're going to pay your your bills on a monthly basis, et cetera, et cetera. You've made a stand on something. You know, your decision is your stand. This is my house. And I live here. <laughs> That was free, uh, you know. 
That's Miss Ross. But uh, <laughs> not Miss Ross, not. But anyway, you know, if you've made a stand on something, you've purchased something, that's your possession. Well, the enemy will come and threaten you that you can't have it. He'll start to tear at it. He'll start to make, make it a headache, want to make it a headache for you. And so if he can take the joy of possession away from you, then eventually he'll push you off of it and you back off of your stance and your position as possessing that thing. You got me? And so once you <clears throat> say, for instance, uh, let me get somebody that I can push around really. Who's looks Chuck? Come here, Chuck. Not that I would. She got a prophecy last night, honey. She, they don't make them like this no more. But say, for instance, if Chuck, say, Chuck, I give you, let me, I'm going to give you this spot right here. Okay. Yeah, step on it. Now, Chuck, that ain't no good. That, that spot, that's toe up, that's raggedy. You don't want that, Chuck. Let me tell you, that spot ain't no good, Chuck. That spot ain't no good. And see, as she backs off of it, she's giving me possession of it because my words are stronger over that thing than hers are. Or if she stays there, come here, stay. And I said, Chuck, that, that thing ain't no good. You don't like it. You just, it's just terrible. And say, Chuck, you need to stop, girl. Get off. That house ain't no good. Just leave that thing. It ain't no good no more. And I convince you to back away on your own. See? See, my words have convinced her that what she initially thought about that is not true anymore. You got me? So that's how the enemy gets us. He gets, he steals your joy and contentment in the thing that you possess. And he will convince you and take the faith away from you that has been helping you to hold on to it. So that's why we need joy. Because when words that try to tear down what, what God has given us come to us, the Bible says that we can count it all joy, is what James says. He says when the devil tempts you to get stupid, and to get carried away with things and wants to sap your faith and take it away from you. He says, count it all joy. It's in James chapter 1. And this is so important because your faith will be tested, folks. Don't, don't get, don't get uh, goofy on God about this faith thing. Everybody's faith is tested. Don't think that if, if you think your faith isn't going to be tested, that makes you somebody special. That's wrong thinking, too. Everybody's faith has to be tested. And I'll tell you why. Whenever something is tested, the quality of it is confirmed. Or lack of quality is confirmed. See? We as believers, and never be afraid of the revelation of God. Never be afraid of what he shows you. We as believers need to know what our faith can do. Well, I was telling you about some of the churches that will come and try and, and rent ballrooms and stuff like that and leave a big bill. It's because they were not in faith and that faith, whatever they were carrying around, that pocket change faith. Huh? That won't even keep them in their job from week to week. They're trying to go and blow up all of a sudden, be a big ministry somewhere, win a big ballroom. And it didn't carry. It wasn't of the quality necessary and needed to pull something like that. 
And so that's why your faith needs to be tested because you need to know what your faith can do. God doesn't want his children jumping out there and getting embarrassed and not being able to follow through on a good idea. He wants that to be able to prosper in your life. And so that's why he gives us faith for a prospering. But it will be tested. You know how it's tested? The Bible says immediately when the seed is sown, the enemy comes to steal it away. The devil will follow you to church. And make you buy the gasoline to get him there. That's all right. See, that's all right. Somebody understands what I'm talking about. You ever had a friend you bug and bug and bug to come with you somewhere to hear the word of God, and you get there and they, ooh, I can't, I gotta go here, and you got, we gotta go to the restaurant. We can, they think they're on a holiday somewhere, and you kind of trying to come to a place where you can get into a sanctuary from that kind of stuff. You know, run from the in-laws, the outlaws, the kids, the grandkids, everybody to get here. And you think, well, you're gonna treat a friend to a nice time out, huh? Immediately when the word is sown. Some of us drive the devil to church with us. Not me. He ain't just always meeting you outside the door. Listen, I've been in places where the ushers were so nasty. You know, and you can be tired, your feet killing you, and you just want a seat. And they, you know, that harumph again. Well, Bishop's sitting there. The man of God is sitting here. Sister Copaster is sitting here. Come on now. Just give me a chair, lady, or just throw me out. If you don't want me here, just tell me, and I'll take my $10 offer and go. <laughs> they size you up based on what they think you're going to put in the offer. Dove with people. But I mean, the devil has people everywhere stationed to steal the word from you. Everywhere. Immediately when it's sown. Huh? Spirits of doubt. You know, sometimes people come from backgrounds where they they don't feel worthy or adequate or something like that. It's easy for the devil to steal. Who do you think you are? And immediately, though, when those words start to pierce and you start to consider. Huh? Go considering that stuff. He's got you. So that's why the word has to be tried and tested. It has to be tested that it stays where God puts it and it doesn't get plucked out by the enemy's words. Amen. And so if you're a good one at casting down imaginations, you'll do a lot in God. You can get good at it, too, because God is able to teach us how to do these things. But James tells us in James 1, 2, count it all joy when we fall into diverse temptations or trials, knowing this. So what he says is count it all joy because you know something the devil don't know. Huh? The Bible says that if the, the, the lords of this world had known what Jesus was going to do, they would never have crucified the Prince of Glory. Why? Because he, that caused him to birth a whole bunch of little ones just like him. Huh? Babies, kids. We don't die. We multiply. 
so to speak. <laughs> but he says, count it all joy when you fall into the diverse temp. And knowing this, you got to know. See, if you only know that you're upset about your bills or you're upset about your kids or you're upset about, if that's all you know, you'll never get through this. But if you know this, you do it. And if you know this, you'll be able to count it all joy. And he says, knowing this, that the trying of your faith, that's all that's happening here. The enemy sees you moving out in faith in something and he's got to stop it. So that's what the trying is. He's trying to stop your faith from accomplishing. But if it's a faith of the son of God, it can't be stopped by anything. All you got to do is stand and laugh. Did he, what Bible are you reading, sweetheart? Didn't he say count it all? What did he say? Count it all what, honey? J-O-Y, joy, right? You say that in all them Bibles, don't it? So that means across the board, everybody can laugh whenever the devil attacks you. After you've taken a stand on something, you go and give in the offering and, and you get a big bill. When you get home, you kind of laugh at that bill. <laughs> devil, I see you sitting. You saw that offering I gave, didn't you, devil? I see you sent me a notice. Try to kill me. I'm counting it all joy, knowing this, that the testing of your faith is working for you. It's working something for you that would never get worked if you never stepped out and used it. That's why we got such, you know, lackluster believers around. They never step out in faith on nothing. They just live natural. You know, they add up and, you know, they give, they tithe because they're scared God's going to do something bad to them if they don't give him. as you know, like <laughs> Tony Soprano or something, you know, up in heaven. You'll give me 10%. But I'll take your grandmother's eyes. Bring the tithe into the house. The Corleone family in heaven wants your tithe. Huh? Wasn't that what we've been told all along? Oh, you rob, little man, rob. Oh, Lord, have mercy, huh? They do everything but build your faith so that you can do it with joy. See, there's a penalty for not serving the Lord with joy and gladness. Sickness comes on you. Deuteronomy 28. Deuteronomy 28:47. All these curses came upon them because they served not the Lord with joy and gladness of heart. You'll be so scared, your heart, you'll have a heart attack. Men's hearts failing them for fear. Huh? Why? Because they don't know how to serve the Lord in joy and gladness. All they are scared God's gone. That's a heathen's understanding of God. You know, that's why the Buddhists are Buddhists. Because they scare God only wants to do bad things to them. That's why they persecute Christians all the time. See, if we tell them that homosexuality is sin, oh, we hate, oh, you hate speech, hate speech, I'm going to take you to court. Take me to court. Listen, you're going to meet my lawyer, J-E-S-U-S, you heard of him? He's my advocate, my lawyer. He's waiting for you in court. You're going to sue me. 
Take what? You don't have nothing. You ain't giving me nothing to take from me. You take it from him if you can. Listen, I have a much bigger fear. I fear him who is able not only to kill the body, but cast the soul in hell too. Huh? You take everything I got, you can kill me, whatever. You can't cast my soul in hell. So I will fear him first. But they serve not the Lord with joy and gladness of heart. That's why. That's why illness comes upon people. James tells us, knowing this, that the trying of your faith works patience. I, I, I don't know about it. Well, what's you, you, I know that. I knew it. I know I get patience. Well, shut up then. Let, let it work. It says, but let patience have her perfect work, maturing work, perfecting work. Let me tell you where the devil gets a lot of people. They get a prophecy from God, and then they want to run off in the flesh and make it happen. See, what happens is where their faith is being tested is really in the weight. See, there's a part of every prophecy that does have a now component to it where you can get a little evidence that it's God. It'll ring true in you or you might get a little a little fruit off of it or something like that. There's a part of every prophecy that has that element to it. It's like tiny time pills, a prophecy is. Some said to go off right now. Some said to go off in five years. Some said to go off. You got me? It follows you throughout your life. It's not just not a real quick word for you, get you out of, the, uh, of a bad place right now, and then you go and backslide on God. That's why he don't give his brats a whole lot of stuff at one time. Because most of us receive a prophecy in the flesh. The minute you hear something good, you just <laughs> quicken in it. <laughs> you know, I mean, come on now. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You know I'm talking about, girlfriend. Of course you do. Quicken is so hard. Yeah, we, we know God loves you. Hey, all of us here are loved, okay? Come on now. You don't have to make a big production of this. Just receive it in your spirit. Because I'm telling you right now, I see 14 devils hovering right up there over your shoulder, ready to jump on you and take that from you. So I suggest you save your quickening energy. (laughs) So you can prophesy to them dumb devils and tell them they can't steal your stuff no more. And you know what? It's, we, we need to get sick of God bailing us out of the same old thing. Why don't we learn how to hold on to our stuff so we don't have to keep getting the same word about him giving us stuff back that we love? Well, I just, you know, I don't know how I can't hold on to that. I know how. <laughs> he says, let patience have her perfect work that you may be perfect and entire wanting nothing. Nobody wants the patience to perfect them so that we can be whole and entire, wanting nothing. We think all we need from God is an open door. And we're off and running. But you've got to get in that door and do what is required of you on the inside of that door. And if you haven't let God mature you in any way, you'll be sweating bullets the whole time in that door. You will not enjoy it at all. 
said, oh, Lord, I, I, oh, they asked me to do so-and-so on the job today. I don't even know how I'm going to go do it. Do I know anybody know how to do this job? And you get in your little cell phone and start trying to call people and cookbook through your job. That's because you don't let God do his perfecting work in you. So while a word is being tried and fought over, God is strengthening you, perfecting you, giving you a sense of this is valuable. You're valuable. Anything you've got to fight for and hold on to is worth it. I didn't love my husband as much as I loved him in the end, in the beginning, because I fought for him at some point in the middle. Now, look, these... These seven little dwarfs here sitting there looking at me like I'm crazy. (laughs) You know, that brother had enough nerve to want to try and and leave me. Huh? After only seven years of cutting up. I thought you did at least ten. You know, what is this, seven years you've done at seven? But God began to, to help me to understand the value of covenant commitment. Because I I look to the Lord some days and I said, Now look, God, it ain't about love at this point. <laughs> and it ain't about want to at this point. Right now I'm just fighting for the principle. I don't want the devil to take nothing from me. See? Once I knew it was the devil was stealing everything, I made up my mind I was in it for the principle anymore. Huh? Because that brother, as the years went on, we both started looking a little different than we did. We, You know, they acting funny, looking funny, get older, get gray. You know, what used to be toned is... <laughs> on both of us. You understand what I'm saying? So, you know, those of you with stars in your eyes, that's okay. You know, keep them stars. But let's get real here, sisters. Okay, get real. If, if that brother decides he's going to leave you, you got two choices. You got either to stand or you quit. And once you make up your mind to stand, then you'll find out what's inside of you. And if what's inside of you can't pull it back in, you got to get more inside of you till you reel that in. And I was married to a big fish, very high maintenance. Y'all know the whole nine yards. I don't have to go through that. As they say, wise with the finances. Tight, tight. Honey. You know, once you get saved, you can't get them drunk. Oh, I I can't can't say that. (laughs) That was female trick in beginner stage. We We didn't do that after we got saved. But you know what I'm talking about. You know, you got to play by the book. <laughs> you got to get God involved and believe God is going to loose them little tight. I mean, and they get strong, you know. That's right, girlfriend. What you talking about? We go through, don't we? See, I tell people the word is working as long as you're encouraged to fight some more. You know what I'm saying? It's working. Your faith is being strengthened. You know, don't get to the place where he come home and, well, I'm leaving. And I say, and I'll help you pack. 
Got your bag sitting right over here, second drawer to the left, to the left, to the left. That's where your stuff is. I never meet, you know what I'm saying. You don't get there. See, that's weak. That's what will happen if you don't make it through the testing of your faith. You want to be whole and entire, lacking nothing. Huh? So let them come in and swing from the chandeliers. I'll buy you another bunch of bananas. You understand? <laughs> Just a little joy for you. You understand what I'm saying? I feed that brother bananas all day long. You know, let him swing. He'll be tired in a minute and get down to himself and go fry him some chicken and y'all be all happy. Count it all joy. Knowing this, that it's a testing to make you whole. It's not testing to take anything away from you. It's not a test that you're going to fail. Huh? Because God gave you the cheat sheet. It's right there in front of you. Huh? You can read your word all day long and get strength on top of strength on top of strength. You know, it's good to go in the Bible when you're in a, in a bad shape because you go in there with a whole new kind of hunger. And you come out of that with something every single, whoo, I didn't know this was in here. Oh, Lord, you never should have let me see this. I'm going to tear the devil up with this one. See, that's why you count it all joy, because you know something the devil doesn't know. That the testing makes you stronger. See, he participates in it because he thinks he can kill you. He doesn't know he can't kill you either. If the devil could kill you, he'd have killed you before you got born again. He'd have had a big casualty. Once you got in the kingdom, honey, you, there's plenty of places to hide up in here. Cliff of the rock, shadow of the almighty, huh? feathers of his wings. A lot of places to hide up there from the devil. And you don't have to, uh, you know, prove how big and bad you are, neither. You can just hide in the cliff of the rock and let the Lord take care of him. You got me? Speak your word, hide behind it, and let, you know, let him, let the devil have a headache for a change. Amen? So, praise God. Praise God. The Holy Spirit gives us joy. He's the spirit of joy. He's the overcoming spirit. Overcomers are not afraid to laugh at the devil. Huh? The first time I was able to do that, by the spirit it kind of popped out of me when something was said you know the devil said something threatening to me and it was like (laughs) you got it like a hiccup and and god helped me to see that joy was my biggest friend being able to laugh at things was helpful for me when i found the lord i was on the i had had a nervous breakdown in fact i had been hospitalized for a while found out i didn't like it got serious about god and and decided i wasn't going to go back anymore i was done with that and so god honored that but as as a way to get through it and a way to be healed god gave me laughter and he gave me joy so that the things that you know set me back and destroyed my world didn't destroy it anymore you know my husband had said he wanted a divorce And that's why I had the nervous breakdown. You know, there are things that happen. And usually most people think it won't happen to them. That's the whole thing about it. You don't think. Because at first I was thinking to myself, I said, well, where is he going? (laughs) You know what I mean? He's just 
out of nowhere, it's, it's over with. You understand what I'm saying? Well, where is he going? And what's he going to do? And what are he going to do about me? <laughs> I ain't letting him go. You understand what I'm saying? And see, when you can't form a, a, a way out for yourself, the devil then torments you because you don't have an answer to anything. So I ran to the Lord. And, and, it, and after a while, I just put my marriage in God's hands, and it was a gift. I never worried about it anymore. It never bothered me anymore. It never upset me anymore. And I would watch it sometimes. You know how you just, you sitting over in your chair, the brother over there, and he ain't seeing you out. You think he going. I say, he couldn't pass for single in a million years. You know how these brothers, some of them got wife written all over them and hanging all off them. You have wife reality all over them. You know, the shoes be too neat and the tie be too nice. And you know the creases and yes, no, 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 no. He ain't going nowhere and pass for single. Somebody being threw him out and sent him back home to his wife. And that was my prayer. I said, Lord, if he got plans for something that he didn't have no plans, just was gonna go, just to be going somewhere. See, that's what the devil would do to people sometimes. They just make stupid things. Just say stupid. I said, Where are you going? Well, uh, that's no concern of yours. <laughs> really? <laughs> and bust out and start crying. Until God got a hold of me. Showed me some stuff in the Word. And he said, there's a devil out here. And that's who's after. He said, it's not your husband. He said, the devil has started talking to him. I said, well, how did the devil talk to him? Then I realized he'd been talking to me all my life. So I... <laughs> you get a different line of questioning after that. I said, oh, okay. And so, and so I put some things into God's hands. Because I read that scripture that said, what we place in God's hands, nobody can pluck out. So marriage went in there, future went in there, he went in there twice. <laughs> Took him out once to slap him around. No, I didn't. But you know what I'm talking about. Once God gives you revelation and faith on something, you use it as much as you can. And so I found out, I found in that one scripture, my peace, my future, my healing, my hope, my help, everything. You know, as, as, as I went on getting healed, I was always concerned a little bit about our future. God, can I trust him? The Lord said, no. I said, oh, okay, question answer. He said, but you can trust me. He said, and I can talk to him about things. That, oh, you mean I don't have to? No, you don't just shut up. Okay, I got this. Huh? You obey God. You just obey God. And I was able to count it all joy. One day I was thinking about it, and I said, Lord, you know, you work sometimes kind of funny. I said, I never would have thought I'd come to this place through the route that I came. Because it started out so sad and so uh, depressed and so ugly. But I see now that you're able to restore all those years. I have more joy and contentment since I've known the Lord than I had all the years before I knew God. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I decided I was going to max out on everything. So that's how I'm able to count it all joy. Because I know that the devil will never win for every headache he gives me. 
and every heartache he tries to give me. God will give me so much more if I will count it all joy. My faith is only being tested to see what it can do. And you need to know what your faith can do. You need to know if your faith can hold up a marriage. If you're not one of those people who can go day to day, month to month, in, in, in some kind of not having your way, it's a problem with people. Everybody wants everything they want immediately, and we don't understand that other people involved in the situation, God is thinking about them as well. And so you're not just here to extract things out of a relationship. You're here to put things in so it can build and it can support and it can grow. And you'll never have anything from God if you don't have that understanding of how his kingdom works. It works with a seed. It works with nurturing the seed. It works with growth. It works with expansion. All of these things happen because God wants us to be sustained in the things that we're doing in this life. He doesn't want to see us lose anything. When the devil comes by and starts to threaten you, God has you stand there and use your word and see nothing happen for a prolonged period of time so that you can be strengthened so that every word the enemy puts at you doesn't move you and have you running here and there tossed to and fro. You know, I'm going to move to Atlanta because that's where the jobs are. I'm going to move to here because that's where the jobs are. You don't move nowhere. You demand a job to come to you because you are blessed where you are. Go running all over everywhere looking for something. The devil's not your daddy. Now, if God moves you, that's one thing. But more people need to stay planted so that we can prosper where we are. And then the Bible says, you become your mustard seed becomes a, a great tree and others can lodge in its branches. You can hire other people. You can employ other people. You can have jobs for other people. They lodge in your branches because you know how to stay rooted and grow where you are. If nobody ever stays rooted and grow and we all try to run and get a job somewhere because, you know, Bill Gates is hiring or whatever, he can't hire everybody. Somebody's got to be the next bill, anything to have something grow and others can can lodge in it. And we never get that unless our faith is tested and we know what our faith can do. You step out in, in a confidence in God when you know what your faith can do. So we count it all joy knowing that we got the, the jump on the devil. He thinks he's giving me a headache, but wait until he sees how I'm going to blow up. In patience and confidence after this thing is over. I'll be the biggest thing he ever took a bite of in his life. Because once God's, your, God's faith is tested, you have the faith of the Son of God in you. And you want to let it get as big as it can be. And that's why you can laugh at the devil. Okay, devil, you really want to do that? You want to test me in that today? You want to try and take that away from me today? Okay, all right. And just sit down there and have a good laugh. Because you can let that joy carry you through that testing rather than being nervous, worried, and concerned. I'd rather ride in on a wave of joy any day than to sit there like a a broken nerve, worried, and upset, wondering when the next shoe is going to drop. It ain't going to drop. Trust me, it's not going to drop. And so God won't let the devil steal from us. So in Proverbs 17, we're talking about... The joy as a medicine and a cure. The joy cure. Proverbs 17, 22 
tells us that a merry heart does good like a medicine. A merry heart does good like a medicine. In other words, you get a headache. This is just something to try. You never tried it before. Try it. Sit there and laugh for a few minutes. Huh? Go read yourself a joke. Read yourself a good story. Laugh for a few minutes. But a broken spirit dries the bones. People who don't know how to revive their spirit when they hear bad news, who meditate on negative things all the time. You know, you have to really break yourself of that habit. With a lot of people, it's a habit, and it can be broken. You cast those down and you pick up the word. Proverbs 15 and verse 13 tells us that a merry heart makes a cheerful countenance. Man, a merry heart makes a cheerful countenance. But sorrow of the heart, by sorrow of the heart, the spirit is broken. You don't want a broken spirit because your spirit is a source of your life. Depression sets in. You drag around. You don't enjoy anything. You can't focus properly. And eventually that will take you into more severe situations. Ecclesiastes 9 and verse 7 says, go your way, eat your bread with joy, and drink your wine with a merry heart. Now, that's grape juice for y'all, okay? Y'all don't need wine. You feel with the Holy Ghost. Don't try to get him drunk up in there. For God now accepts your works. When you do something that pleases God, that God approves of, there's a joy that sets up on the inside of you. It just is. Many of you have experienced it. I think a lot of times we overlook it because we don't understand. You ever like witness to somebody and you have this like big inner grin somewhere, you know, that you can't wipe off your face. It's like your insides are smiling all day long. You just it just sets your day off right. And there's no other day like that day. Because you were able to speak God's word, somebody received it, you got, and you didn't goof it up this time. That's the wonderful thing about it sometimes, is you know it was just one of those God moments that everything flowed so well and there was no mess up on your part. And that's because God lets you know on the inside with a release of joy from the Holy Spirit, that's his witness to you. That there's something that God approves of about what you have done. Your works have pleased God, and there's a joy that sets in. I used to, when we have conferences sometimes, you know, I'd have one of them uh, uh, work hangover type things. You know, where, where you second guess everything because the enemy makes you doubtful about, uh, you know, did you do this right or did you do that right or, or somebody didn't look pleased about something or something like that. I learned how to override that and just not give it any kind of consideration. And I realized that God was pleased. See, as long as you walk around in that mindset of you did something wrong and what did I do and all that stuff, you'll never get that joy to come forth in there. And so I started overriding all those thoughts. And I told God, I said, well, one thing I do know, I said, that bunch you sent me to take care of, they will be back next year. 
because I fed them twice a day or something like that. I said, I can always rest assured that if, if I goofed up the meetings, I goofed up the venue, I didn't goof up the food. So they will be back. Amen. But I found that there was a joy and a contentment that set up on the inside of me. And I looked for that more than what was up here. See, if you look for what God is saying to you about what you do or how you do things, you'll find that there is a witness on the inside of you that God's pleased with your works. Huh? A witness on the inside. There's a joy, there's a contentment, there's a release of that inner smile that comes when you know that you please God. I don't care how much, how many problems there were in it. At the end, God is pleased because we step out and use our faith and don't quit. And so that's one way he always knows that he can get us out there again is that he gives us that inner smile that lets us know that he's pleased with what we do. So when we ask, Jesus told us to ask anything that our joy would be full. So the promises of God come to fulfill our joy. Romans 15, 13 says we are filled with joy and peace through the power of the Holy Ghost. Jesus had joy inside of him when he went to the cross. He said it was that the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. But also joy carried him through to overcome. At every juncture, there was something when things got to be overwhelming for him, the Lord sent some kind of help for him to release him from that. Amen. Remember, angels came and ministered to him in the garden when the disciples wouldn't pray. All of those things happened. He released his spirit to the father when the work was done for the joy that was set before him. So joy is precious to live in that realm of joy is very, very precious. That's why the the enemy comes to steal, kill and destroy mainly to steal joy from us. If he can keep us in a place of doubting God, lack of contentment. Any of those negative fruit like that, then he will do it because because he knows that if he lets us experience God's joy, then we'll know what it's like to really have power over him. And then he will never be able to stop us in anything. And healing will come to you speedily if you have joy. There's some things I want to share with you. I found as far as normal medicine these days is concerned. That people are doing more as far as laughter therapy is concerned. There are actually uh, cancer treatment centers have a center of laughter therapy because they feel that laughter and joy are very healing to people. Much more so than, uh, uh, you know, very solemn, very uh, sober uh, ways of dealing with things. So I'm going to read you a few things to encourage your faith in joy and in laughter. Because we have it. The world's trying to get it. They believe in it. And they're trying to use it. But they don't have the access to it that we do. But they do have some access. So it says researchers have found that even <clears throat> that you can even act as if you are feeling emotion. Say happiness or, or irritation by arranging your face in a smile or a frown. And you're likely to feel that emotion. 
In a classic study, participants were instructed to hold a felt-tip marker in their mouths in a way that caused their facial muscles to be formed in a smile or frown. While holding the marker this way, they were asked to view comic strips and say how funny they found them. Those with facial, facial muscles were mimicking a smile found the same comics funnier than those whose facial, facial muscles were set into a frown. Physical benefits of mirth or laughter. Mirth and laughter cre- increase endorphins and dopamine, which are, are hormones that cause excitement and, and happiness in your brain. Increase relaxation response. Laughter reduces pain, reduces stress. It increases creativity, improves problem-solving ability. It enhances our memory. It increases our ability to cope with stress by providing alternative, less serious perspective on one's problems. Emotional benefits of humor and mirth. We have an elevated mood and feeling of well-being. When you have this feeling of well-being, you are not as subject to take symptoms seriously. We have reduced depression, anxiety, and tension. We have increased self-esteem and resilience. We have increased hope, optimism, energy, and vigor. We have social benefits uh, available associated with humor. Bonding with friends and family increases when you're in a good mood. Now, that's why people have what they call happy hour. (laughs) Just a thought. We have it inside of us. We can release it at any time. They got to go buy like, you know, pay $3 a shot for it. Reinforcement of group identity and cohesiveness. Increased friendliness and altruism. Increased activity attractiveness to others, happier marriages, and close relationships. So laughter is a cure for most serious illnesses, and scientists are beginning to study it more. I'm going to give you an example of a man who was healed uh, with laughter, if I can find it here. I got a couple I wanted to read. After I started looking for them, boy, I found a lot. But there was a man who had a deteriorating bone disease and was able to live for many, many years after that on a diet of Marx Brothers movies. Let me see if I can find this guy. You'll enjoy this because I thought to myself, I said, God, you mean people are doing this and, and we gotta, <laughs> we got to look sad and sorrowful and all this kind of crazy stuff until we get what we need? Praise God. Amen. Let me find it. Oh, here it is. All right. He said, on Friday, uh, Friday, March 14th, 2008, this is the story of a gentleman by the name of, um, I think it's Norman Cousins. He said he'd been diagnosed suddenly with life-threatening ankylosing spondylitis, a painful degenerative disease of the spine. Cousins, who was in constant agony and quickly succumbing to paralysis, checked himself out of the hospital, which in his view was no place for sick people. I agree. And into a hotel 
where under the supervision of a doctor, he began taking extremely high doses of vitamin C, punctuated with with a regimen of intense belly laughter. Why laughter? It was the only thing that seemed to kill the pain. Cousins would start laughing by watching Marx Brothers movies and candid camera episodes on a rented projector. So this was way back in the day. After several months, a day after several months, a day after day of laughter, Cousins walked out of the hotel. This is after several months, folks. And some of us don't want to listen to the word for three days because many people have been healed in three days. But he says he walked out of the place. After uh, several months, where was I? Yeah. Uh, Yeah, and since then, he says the vitamin C, uh, they decided that the vitamin C wasn't really doing much good. It was discredited as it being helpful. But laughter, it turns out, is another story. Cousin's laughing cure was greeted by the medical establishment with derision. How stupid. A man curing a life-threatening disease with laughter. Cousins even wrote a book about his experience, Anatomy of an Illness as Perceived by the Patient. Although the book helped launch the holistic health movement, decades would pass before medical researchers reopened the curious case of the laughing man. In 1995, in Bombay, now Mumbai, India, a young gastroenterologist would come across Cousins' story in a medical journal. Dr. Kataria A dour, in his words, humorless professional was used to fishing around in people's guts for a living. But when he read about cousins, he decided to do something crazy. At seven the next morning, he went into a local park and was able to gather a few people for what he called a laughter club. The small group grew quickly. Each day they would tell each other jokes or try to produce laughter as a health routine. But a few days in, a sad thing happened. People were running out of jokes and instead of offending and instead were offending each other with off color sexist humor. That does not work. Kataria's experiment was, in his words, a bit of a flop. That night, Kataria had an epiphany. The people at the laughter club were fixated on a reason to laugh, a joke, a story, a comical event. What if he removed the reason? The next day, he gathered the now miserable group and told them they didn't need a reason to laugh. According to Kataria, some of them burst out laughing. He learned that you could gather a group of people together, tell them to laugh, and they would just start laughing. If someone hesitated, he would say, fake it. While the laughing was initially forced or acted, it would seem almost to build magically into the real thing. See, laughter is contagious. He said laughter is naturally contagious, and by simply laughing, people were fooling their own bodies into laughing along. And soon the whole group would be laughing madly. His discover, his, he discovered, Kataria's discovery of managed contagious laughter, a new form of laughter, marked the beginning of the laughter therapy movement, which is now in force in many medical Uh, endeavors in many medical situations. So that's Norman Cousins. Many of you know the story of Patch Adams, the uh, physician who took laughter on. If I can grab these up real quick, I'll read you something real, real interesting about him, about why he started what he started. 
Okay. This is his short biography. He said, a, port, a short biography of me. Hi, Patch here. Thank you for taking the time to visit this website and for your curiosity concerning my work. You may have heard of me through the film about my life in medical school, Patch Adams, and I can confirm that I'm actually a real person. I am a doctor, but above all else, I consider myself an activist for peace, justice, and care for all people. And he says here, <clears throat> I'm growing up. My older brother and I were World War II babies. Dad's career was in the Army, and he fought, he fought all of World War II in Korea. We grew up on Army bases outside the U.S. during peacetime and stateside during wartime. Our last seven years with him were in Germany, where he died in 1961. He was so damaged by his war experiences that he couldn't connect with me. I had no father. My mother was remarkable. She loved us. She was a school teacher and fed me all of my interests, giving me self-esteem, making me creative, loving men who cared for people. After my father's death, we moved back to Virginia, and I was placed in an all-white school where immediately I was confronted with the ugliness of segregation. I got in trouble with my classmates and was beaten up for standing up to the racism that surrounded me. I was a strange, nerdy kid. In my late teens, I was hospitalized three times because I didn't want to live in a world of so much violence and injustice. Everything changed in the last hospitalization when I decided that instead of taking my life, I would make a love revolution. At 18, I found my desire to serve humanity through medicine and make the commitment to myself to never have another bad day. I decided to be happy. I left the hospital on fire and pursued a couple of interests while working for my medical degree. First, I wanted to go out and engage the world as a happy soul. I started clowning in public and have done it daily since. So he puts on his clown stuff every day. Second, I set out to quench my thirst for knowledge by studying everything I could get my hands on. In order to become an instrument for peace and justice and care, I read thousands of books. I needed to understand so I could create solutions. I became interested in whole systems thinking, looking for ways to integrate it with the hospital community-based concepts that emerged in medical school. In my imagination, I envisioned a communal eco-village hospital that would address every problem of the way healthcare was delivered in one model. I wrote it up in a paper in 1971, and this was the basis of what became the Gesundheit Institute. So that's what he calls his place, Gesundheit, which is German for be in good health. So every time you say Gesundheit, that means, he says, I met my, life, my wife my last year of medical school. She was instrumental in the early years of the hospital's functioning, and I can't imagine it without her. Together we had two sons. His son's names are Atomic Zagnut Evans, Adams and Lars Zig Edquist Adams. So those are his kids. So you've got to laugh at that. I mean, come on, somebody's name's Atomic. <laughs> yeah, don't be scared to laugh. 
He says, I did this, uh, let me see, with an amazing group of friends, we created the, the Gesundheit Institute, a pilot hospital model, which we operated for 12 years out of our communal home. We were always open for any kind of problem. Our policy was, one number one, no charge. Number two, no health insurance reimbursement. Number three, no malpractice insurance. You have a lot of faith for that. Number four, three to four hour initial interview with the patient, home as hospital, integration of all the healing arts, integration of medicine with performing arts, crafts, nature, agriculture, education, recreation, and social service. The health of the staff is important, is as important as the health of the patient. We did this for 12 years and saw thousands of patients. The experience was enchanting. Unfortunately, we were so radical that we couldn't find funding. The staff itself paid to practice. In other words, they just collected their own money to keep the place going. In 1984, we realized we couldn't continue operating this way. We needed a facility. In this context, we decided to go public, and I quickly became busy as a speaker. So he was able to go around for years clowning. He has these uh, uh, speaking engagements where he goes, and he he gathers money for them to continue. He's about 70... 68 or 70 years old now, and they just broke ground on a new facility in 2011 where he's going to continue that, but he really believes that if he treats the whole patient and keeps his patients in good humor, they will be well quicker, they don't have to spend time in the hospital, they use their home as their hospital, and they don't have all this seriousness about illness, which is interesting because if you think about it in a hospital, there's so much, so many emergency things available to you that you would have a lot of confidence in what you're doing with laughter as your main therapy in order to keep your patients well. So I have one more thing I want to read you, and it's about a, a gentleman, a Jewish man, who was healed, and uh, he was healed very quickly uh, because he used, he refused to take his illness seriously. Anybody know who Art Block? Art Buckwald was, yeah, he's a humorist, and you know his his uh, uh, his um, life story. He wrote in newspapers. He came from a very unfortunate background. His family, uh, his parents were Jewish immigrants. His father was a tailor, and his mother spent 30 years in and out of mental hospitals. He was orphaned many times. He was in foster care many times as a child. Uh, He had to lie on an an application to get in the Army, but after he got in the Army, he served, and he came out and went to school and educated himself as a journalist. He had a syndicated column for many years, and he's known as a satirist or a humorist. He used humor as his life's work. He was able to get indoors of, of many important people and get their attention because of his gift with humor. He made up a story once about President Eisenhower, and many people thought it was true. And when they found out it wasn't true, he made a response to it, and that just increased his popularity. So he was able to use his gift to many, many places. So this is written in 2006. He says, even though I'm in a hospice, I'm not going to heaven immediately. My doctor said I could stop over in Martha's Vineyard on the way. (laughs) 
For those who have been wondering what this is all about, it has to do with the fact that my kidneys weren't working and I didn't want to take dialysis, which is a machine that you're attached to three times a week for five hours. Now, my thinking is this. Many times when people refuse the natural, there's something in their spirit that's taking over where they can expect, if they can refuse and expect either for it not to help them or for them either not to get worse, they oftentimes don't even have to believe to be healed. They just have to refuse what's being offered, and then that puts them in God's hands, and that's the best place to be. So he says, in February, I was warned that if I didn't take dialysis, I wouldn't survive more than two or three weeks. Since I didn't want dialysis, I decided to move into a hospice and go quietly into the night. For reasons that even the doctors can't explain, my kidney started working again. I got a miracle. And what started out as a three-week death watch was turned into nearly four months. When word got out that I was in hospice, I became a celebrity. I was on all the TV shows, and the notice of my intentions was in all the papers, including the Washington Post and the New York Times, which that made it valid. The more publicity I got, the more attention my kidneys got, and instead of going quietly into the night, I was holding news conferences every day. Then the mail poured in. People were pleased that I had made my own choice. The letters and emails were in the thousands. At the same time, friends came to the hospice to say goodbye. Everybody felt they should make a pilgrimage. They came with flowers, cheesecake, corned beef sandwiches. I sat in the salon of the hospice, and pretty soon when people came to see me, it was as if they were visiting lords. They came to be blessed and to be cured. <laughs> Since I was expected to die soon, the French ambassador gave me the literary equivalent of the Legion of Honor. Because the publicity I've gotten, the National Hospice Association made me man of the year. I never realized dying was so much fun. Then a few weeks ago, my doctor said I had to change course. He advised me to go to Martha's Vineyard. Things I didn't care about because I was going to die, I now had to care about. This included shaving in the morning, buying a new cell phone that works, rewriting my living will, and scrapping all the plans for my funeral. I also had to start worrying about Bush again, I guess George Bush. Alas, the people who come to visit me now look at me with great suspicion. They want to know if the whole thing was a scam. <laughs> they can't believe after I said goodbye, I'm going to Martha's Vineyard instead of Paradise. I called up the TV stations and the newspapers and asked them if they would make a correction and retract the original story. They said they never correct stories about people who claim they're dying, and they didn't. This is where I am now. I'm writing a book called Stand By in Heaven, The Man Who Wouldn't Die. I'm still seeing friends, but instead of saying farewell, we discuss the Redskins. <laughs> so, dear reader, I hope you weren't duped. The moral of the column is never trust your kidneys. <laughs> so, so that's how our Art Buckwald, and he lived at least, amen, praise God. He lived at least another 60, um, not, I'm sorry, at least another year 
before he finally passed away. But I'll tell you, laughter, like the Bible says, is a medicine. It cures us. So what we're going to do now is we're going to pray for you. You can laugh up here. You don't have to laugh up here. You can do anything you want to. But come on up and I'll pray for you. And be of good cheer because God has the answer for you. He has a response for you. Some of you need an impartation of joy. And so we'll do that because if you're worried and you, you know, some of you came, came to the meeting to be refreshed. And this is part of your refreshing. It'll help you to be empowered to go on with what God has for you. Amen. Praise God. Praise God.